0: Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Workplace MVP.
1: Workplace MVP is brought to you by R3 Continuum, a global leader in workplace behavioral health and security solutions. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gassman.
0: Hi, everyone. Your host, Jamie Gassman here, and welcome to this episode of Workplace MVP. I'm excited about this episode as it shares the story of an amazing leader who has had to navigate various trials and tribulations throughout her life. Now, for some, facing challenges can be debilitating, keeping them from moving forward or accomplishing their dreams. But for this workplace MVP, it strengthened her resilience and provided her with learning opportunities that have helped to shape the successful leader she has become today. So looking out over the last two years, a number of leaders have faced various challenges as we have experienced personal and professional altering situations, and in some cases, having to navigate uncharted and unknown waters as we have ridden the waves of the COVID-19 pandemic, employment shortages, changes in our work environments, and more. So how do we as leaders look at these challenges we have overcome as opportunities for personal and professional growth? How do we look on them as a silver lining when at times the challenge was quite difficult? Well, joining us today is workplace MVP, Angela Amons, CEO at Clinch Memorial Hospital in Homerville, Georgia. Angela will be sharing with us her story of resilience, triumph, and tenacity as she took her role as CEO of Clinch Memorial Hospital. So excited to have you here on the show, Angela. Welcome. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for having me here. So, let's start with you telling us your story because it helps to give some insight to the leaders that we have uh, listening in on how you became the leader that you are today.
1: Well, I have been here as CEO at Clinchboro Hospital. September was four years before I became CEO, uh, statistically speaking. I wasn't supposed to be here. Uh, My mother was first generation American. She had immigrated here. She met my um, dad several years ago when he was serving in the um, war in Korea. And she and my baby brother or my older brother, he's a baby at the time, came over. And she really had never had an education. So uh, and even today, she has about a third grade level basic prose understanding and literature and able to read and write at that level. So, um, I guess a tumultuous childhood with lots of challenges in itself and uh, caught me or led me to be a year old high school dropout. And I was homeless um, at different times throughout those teenage years. And so, here I am being CEO of a hospital. So, that's why I said, statistically speaking, I'm not supposed to be here. But several years ago, I went back and got my GED went to nursing school at Coastal College in Brunswick, Georgia, graduated, immediately went into critical care nursing, and then uh, various roles presented themselves for me in management and special projects and so forth in uh, the nursing world, and I have gone on to lead medical teams into Honduras for missions. And I started a nonprofit to hopefully one day build a free medical clinic in Honduras in this village that I'm just in love with there. But someone who had went on the mission team with me had piqued my brain or asked me questions about the hospital here in Clinch because her husband, I think, is serving on the board. And next year you know, I get a phone call where they want me to come and speak to the board and to see if I would possibly be interested in a CEO position. And here we are. And at first I was like, oh, you know, I'm very excited about the opportunity, but I'm not a CEO. I'm a registered nurse, nurse manager. It's very flattering. Thank you. And they're like, no, come and talk to us. And so the uh, person who is very competitive, that side kicked in and said, why not? Let's go and see what can happen. And here we are four years later. So I um, have five children. We live in South Georgia and they are studying various um, different fields. And we have one teenager left at home. So that constitutes my very busy life (laughs) up to this point.
0: Absolutely. Sounds like it for sure. Uh, So, you know, and you mentioned Clinchmore Memorial Hospital. So tell me a little bit about that hospital. I know you meant it's rural. So talk to me a little bit about the hospital itself.
1: Sure. Well, it is a rural hospital. It's a critical access hospital. And critical access means that there are some limits to us and how we can bill and how we're structured. So we are 25 bed max. We have a four day length of stay. And critical access hospitals were set up to be to offset any acute injuries when there is more than a 38, 35 mile radius to your next hospital. And a lot of people think that we are just a band aid station, but that can be that nothing can be farthest from the truth because we employ physicians nurses and staff who have to pass the same boards as any other hospital in the state of Georgia. So the great thing about us is if you were to experience a motor vehicle accident, cardiac event, or some other emergency, we have all the contacts network that we can actually get a helicopter here and fly you out or can um, create um, an efficient path for you to get the help that you need. And the hospital has been here since 1957 The uh, older building was torn down and we uh, built this new building here in 2007. So it's aesthetically pleasing and beautiful. And um, the Clinch County, I think there's about 6,900 people within our county. And we do serve um, some of the surrounding counties around us. But it has definitely been a struggle for us to stay open. As a matter of fact, when I first became CEO here in September of 2017, we probably had three to five days cash on hand. And that what is just absolutely deplorable for any business. And then there are just so many other issues that had to be unraveled or rectified in order to get us in a position to where we can be successful. And I, I shared this story before. I think I was 30 minutes early to work that day. And I kept driving through town because I didn't want to look like an eager beaver too much. And mm-hmm. uh new briefcase, new shoes, and dress, I was gonna come in and save the world. I was what Clinch Memorial Hospital needed. And my small little tiny reputation of my brain I was thinking that. And within two hours, I had had four cups of coffee and I was on my second goodie powder because I not believe um, what I had been presented with. Very good people, I think, in the heart of things, but just not very uh, current or inept to run a hospital. Uh, they, A lot of the people that were employed here had never been employed anywhere else Uh, Never had experienced any other, uh, I guess, uh, management of another large hospital. And I had worked for HCA, Mayo Clinic, and uh, Southeast Georgia Health System over in Brunswick. So uh, I had, I guess, a a varied working knowledge of different hospital um, entities and some of the uh, things that go along with running a hospital. So I was in quite shock for the first couple of days there. But here we are four years later and we're still open.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. It sounds like, and then you've obviously made a huge difference to operational, cultural, a lot of different things that you kind of walked into. So with that, talk to me a little bit about when you took over as CEO, what was the culture? And I know you kind of touched a little bit on the state of the hospital, but Mm -hmm. what was the culture in the state of the hospital? Like, um, it was almost
1: as if this hospital was in a bubble.
0: And they had not been
1: exposed to anything else. Everyone wanted me to save the hospital as long as it didn't personally affect them. Or if it didn't change anything about their lifestyle here at the hospital. And um, I know that change is hard for a lot of people. But in order for us to move forward and in order for us to save the hospital, there had to be a tremendous amount of change that had to take place. Tremendous amount. And the board had only given me an 18-month contract. And they had wanted to only give me a year contract at first. And I was like, there's no way you can do anything in a year. I know that I'm an RN. I've never had a CEO role before, but I'm going to need a little bit more time. So 18 months. So I felt this huge immense amount of pressure to get in, shake things up and to see where we could go. And, you know, every day I was almost playing that game. And if you play the game at the fair or whatever, it's a walk-a-mole. The little mole pops up and you hit it. And the next one pops up. And I felt like I was just chasing moles every single day. But um the culture for a good part of it was somewhat toxic. I had some very good people in my C-suite who were very supportive. They understood that a lot of change needed to happen. But for example, on my first day on the job, I had an employee who refused to shake my hand as a new CEO who refused to be introduced to me. And that was just, it had taken me a because I had been employed since I was 15 years old, working two to three jobs at times. And it didn't matter what job I held, whether it was a waitress at Shoney's or I was working in retail or I was working in an engineering company, there was this level of respect that you give to people who are um, your managers or the position they hold or just respect for the next human being. So I just remember walking away from the employee and going, you know what, they don't want to meet me right now. We'll come back thinking, what in the world? And then... um I remember a nurse who refused to even look up from the desk and speak to me until I finally had to tap on the desk and say did you not hear me say hello and they're like oh yeah I heard you and I was like okay so this is going to be a very interesting job here but um it was just whatever was allowed there was limited accountability uh very limited follow-through very limited amount of expectation set. Uh, And I think that previous CEOs had done the best they could, but it was just an immense project. So I just started to decide to chip away at the little things. And a very wise woman in a church I used to go to used to give advice to all of the new newlyweds. And they said, honey, she said, you need to start out like you can hold out. And the new women like, what are you talking about? What does that mean? If you want to be sugar and kisses and uh, full face of makeup every single day. You got to do that for the rest of your life because it's not fair to the husband when three months in, you're tired of that and you revert back to another lifestyle. So I've taken that kind of advice into the business. It's hard for you to start out easy and then have to get harder because your employees are not going to understand that. So I believe in being tough, but fair and being very direct from the get go. Tons of respect in there, but I had to be very direct with some of the things. So I remember going to my CNO, and she is a phenomenal employee, and I don't know what I would do without her. But I told her about my experience with a nurse, and I told her, I said, get it cleaned up or get it fixed immediately, or I'm I'm going to have to take care of the issue. Because if she's doing that to me as a CEO, I don't know what she's doing to the public. So we need to rectify the situation immediately. But it was just instances like that. Um, and then the community being an outsider, not from here, being half Asian, uh, I think has been hard to accept at times. Uh, there's a lot of judgment, especially when you're a female CEO, when you're taking on a role like this. And I even heard negative comments from people who I thought were my friends about how I potentially got the job. And so it was just hard during that first year to be tasked with trying to save a hospital, change the culture, and then dealing with the personal attacks that come with that. And it's still not easy. I think once a quarter I make someone upset in the community, I'm in this closed Facebook group. How do we remove the new administrator? I've been here four years, so maybe when I'm here 10 years, if I'm still here, maybe I won't be new anymore. But uh, so that happens on a consistent basis. So it's just one of those things. But, you know, Jamie, looking back, I believe that my entire childhood and lifetime prepared me for the things and the challenges I had to face here. Because if someone had a very sheltered lifestyle, if someone had not had to overcome a lot of obstacles, had been put in situations where people were just really horrendous to you, I think they would have walked out the door. And people have walked out the door. And sometimes when I've had insults or whatever hurled at me, I'm like, is that the best you can do? Because I've heard a lot worse. That doesn't bother me at all. So I I think that helped prepare me um, for this position and maybe other things in the future. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that definitely sounds really challenging, you know, because you're trying to make a difference and, you know, having people understand and provide that respect to help along the way. Would make it that much easier, but mm-hmm. it's almost like they've created those obstacles. So looking at that, because I mean, change is hard. I mean change management is such a especially in an organization where you're it sounds like they probably had multiple CEOs that had come and gone prior to you coming on board while they're trying to fix the situation. And you know creating change can bring so many, you know additional obstacles in and of itself. So how did you approach that? What were some of the ways that you approach that change management process, knowing that you were already getting kind of some deflection of, you know, frustrated feelings and disrespect? And how did you kind of implement that? What were some of the ways that you approach that, that you feel helped to kind of overcome some of those challenges?
1: Well, it's a, it was a multifaceted approach and some days I thought I had it nailed down to a science and then, you know, sometimes you have to start back (laughs) to the first page, but I created a whiteboard. I had a whiteboard hung in my room and I created wants and needs. Okay. And I think I'm on my second or third whiteboard where I've erased it and started all over again. And I had to focus every single day on the things that absolutely had to happen whether it was applying for accreditation, um, looking at our charge master, going back and looking at policies and procedures, and things that are supposed to happen on a routine basis hadn't happened in years. So not only was it you had to get it done, but you're looking at 10 plus years of work that you had to go through. But just looking at that and being able to cross off with a red marker, the things that we accomplished kept me going. Um And rallying the team, I had to make sure that the board had um, my back 100%. And at times, it can feel like they don't, but you have to remember the end goal. Okay. And uh, to remember, as long as you know that you're performing at your best capacity, your feeling for that day cannot be dependent on the feedback you get from somebody else. And being a novice CEO, being very new at my role and being unsteady for the first six months, I probably caused a lot of undue stress upon myself, wanting positive feedback, wanting it. You're doing a great job, wanting the employees like I me. And guess what? I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all from the community. And some I've had some bad uh, discussions with boards and uh, with employees. So then I had to come through sharp realizations like, Angela, you're wanting a fuel for your fire that you're not going to get. You're going to have to learn to stoke that thing on your own and not wait for positive feedback. Just, just keep your head down and do the best you could. So I created a good team of immediate support in the C-suite. And I was very direct with all of them and said, look, I'm a very transparent person. I'm never going to be 100% right all the time. I will fail. I will do my best to admit the times that I failed. But I need you to be able to admit that with me as well. And together, let's come up with a solution. Don't think you have to hide anything. I don't want you to hide anything. If you don't know an answer to something, just admit that. Because I'm going to do the same thing with you. And we set some goals. And we gave everybody a toolbox to be able to reach those goals. And if you couldn't get there, we had to give you the opportunity to seek employment elsewhere. And a lot of people in our county thought this hospital was established to be an employer of Clinch County. And that cannot be farther from the truth. The hospital was established to provide excellent patient care for anyone that came to that door. And we are tasked with making sure that we have the right people in place to do that. OK, so there was a lot of nepotism that um, we had to alleviate within their facility. And there were a lot of hurt feelings associated with that. And uh, a lot of people just thought it was a personal attack. But that wasn't true. So that was one of the things that we do had to do and we're still facing. And I think that a lot of people, a lot more, the percentage is shifting to where people understand that. And I used to tell my children, I still do. Remember, you are the average of your friends. Look around at your friends. If you don't like what you see, you need to do a little bit of closer introspection because you're probably that average. So when I became CEO there were uh, years of people that I'd worked with who had heard I'd taken the position and said, Angela, we always want to continue to work with you and for you. If anything comes open, let us know. So for the first time in several years, we had people who could get jobs anywhere, but they were choosing to come and work in Little Clinch County, BSN, master's degrees, years of experience with compliance and so forth. And so that made my job a lot easier is having a great team who had the same work ethic that I did. And who believed in just staying until the work was done and being honest and laughing at each other. Now, there has been times when we have had spats but that in the day we leave with the respect that we're just here for the common goal. And um, I think if it had not been years of me doing the best I can in previous jobs, and that reputation would have not followed me.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: uh, so whenever we have a new nurses come in or anybody through orientation, I ask that I have a few minutes to introduce myself and speak to everyone. And I tell them you are in a constant job interview every single day you show up for work, whether you believe it or not. So it's important for your uniform to be right. The dress code is is appropriate for your personality to be on spot because you don't know the person that you're working with next to you will be a, a future employer, a future reference, a future anything. So that's the way I do. I I try to operate in that I don't know if any of the people that are working for me, I may not be working for them in the future. But I think that has what helped me be as successful as I am and to obtain the positions that I did is that earlier on when you're homeless and you're by yourself and you don't have anyone to help you, um, there have been some pretty dark moments in my life. And even whether it's the shame or the realization of the lack, I go, you know what, Angela, the only person that can change this for you is you. There isn't one person on the face of this earth that owes you anything, not one thing. And if you want to change the directory for your life, you've got to get out and work for it. And that meant working three jobs. That meant going back to college after you get off your second job and doing night classes. But um, keeping that mindset that whatever you want out of life, you work for it. And it's not handed to you. I think really has helped us as a team here at Clinch Memorial Hospital get some of the recognition and the notoriety um, that we have thus far.
0: Yeah, which is you know sounds well deserved, and it's such a great. I love that concept of you know show up to work like you're always on a job interview. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it kind of I always say it goes the same way when I'm like traveling. I know I you know, always travel dressed, ready for potentially anybody that I might meet because you never know who you might be sitting next to. <laughs> I don't know so who true. you're going to run
1: into. It's like, it never fails the day yes. you leave the house without makeup. Cause you're just going to run to the store, rip t-shirt or something. Cause you've been cleaning all day. You see someone I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's no chance for a second uh, chance of this ever again.
0: <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I love that concept in the work environment of like always showing up like you're going to be in a job interview because, you know, I, I, I love that thinking of always putting your best foot forward, um, every day. So, and, you know, with the hospital, it's, it's obviously, you know, kind of, you mentioned it's rural and and you've kind of touched on some of those challenges, you know, with the nepotism and, you know, changing kind of the perception of the community to, uh, the hospital. Um, what are some of the other, you know, with it being rural, what are some of the benefits that it has, but then also what are some of the challenges or obstacles you've had to, to overcome with it being a rural hospital? Are there things that have created it, maybe some barriers to it being, you know, more rural, rural, or I don't even know if that's a word, rural in uh, Georgia. (laughs) It is,
1: it is extremely challenging for us because rural usually means a high poverty rate. Uh, so getting people to use your hospital or ancillary services is extremely hard because you usually have a higher uninsured rate or Medicaid or where they um, really don't qualify for that. And along with that, too, sometimes comes with a lack of understanding due to a lack of education. Most of the people who do go off to get college degrees just stay in the area that they're getting the college degree from and very few move back. So we have the problem with out migration. And uh, just a complete lack of understanding and the mindset, of we've always done it this way. Why do we have to change? Well, there can be no success without change. And a very good friend of mine, and he ha- happens to work here, said there can absolutely be zero growth, personal or professional, without conflict. So it's going to mean there's going to be a time of being uncomfortable or a little bit different in order for us to see some change. So that's hard. one of the things that was challenging for us coming in was that we were a hospital that was slated to be closed. We were on the closure list and hardly anyone had ever heard of us. We were sometimes confused with hospital, a hospital in Charlton County that closed in 2014. Uh, So going in as the underdog and having everyone who could go to bat for you, the legislators, your representatives, uh, people who, wanted to issue grants, knowing that you might be um, a sinking ship, they did not want to work with us. So that was extremely difficult and extremely challenging. And then having um, a board who's a good-hearted board, but was um, void of the healthcare management um, aspect, didn't understand a lot of the terms of a critical access hospital. See, critical access hospitals are set up much differently than PPS hospitals. Usually in any business, if you want to make a profit, you save money, you cut back and you put money in the bank. Critical access hospitals are set up differently. So we get 101% of all of our um, charges that are presented to Medicare. And at the end of the year, we do a cost report. And if we have not reinvested every dollar that Medicare gave us, we have to give them money back. And trying to get the board and people to understand, well, why is that new CEO buying all of these ID pumps or upgrading their computer systems or hiring more people? Or why does she increase salaries? Because all of that goes in our cost report. And so it is a very, it's a game. It's a game how to play this and how to navigate that to make sure that we get credit for every dollar that comes through here. And um, at times it can be very, very stressful if you're looking at, you're facing a, a possible payback at the end of the year because you worked so hard, your staff worked so hard. The last thing you want to do is write a check for a million dollars back to Medicare. I mean, it's just it's just so defeating to do that. So understanding the nuances of that and trying to get your hands and head wrapped around that was extremely challenging because the community would you know post something in the paper to the editor, Well why does she get rid of this long term provider in the community? Well, it really was not feasible for us to continue in this relationship or why is she buying a a car for an employee? And so uh, a couple of years ago, we were trying to find a creative way to keep employees here to retain them and to recruit them. And I did not like sign on bonuses because that defeated everything that anyone who had been here for years and the work that they were doing. So what we did was created a driving excellence program. So every two weeks, if an employee signed off on your time, you worked your scheduled um, hours And you did not call out, your name was put into a drawing. And every quarter, we gave away $500 from that drawing. And then we put your name back in the bucket. And every year, we gave away a car to an employee. So that got a lot of publicity for us. And there was a lot of people who wanted to come work for us because we were thinking outside the box. But the community couldn't understand that. Um, And I tried to explain to them well, depending on the cost report, depending on the employee that we give it to, it's not the face value of the cost of this car. And every time an RN leaves our facility, the average cost for recruitment and retention and getting in the back is $50,000 every time a registered nurse leaves you. So if we have 10 registered nurses walk out the door every year, it's costing us so much money. So this is a very little small effort that we can do with that type of thing. But Um, Getting the community to understand that has been hard at times, but we just keep pressing on, trying to think outside the box and doing things that we've never done before. We created a farm-to-table approach during the middle of the pandemic. We had a lot of farmers locally who couldn't get their vegetables and produce and fruit uh, to the market because the pandemic shut everything down. And one of the farmers reached out to me and said, Angela, can you buy some blueberries? All of our suppliers have just strut up and they're just dying of the vine. Absolutely. And so it started getting my mind thinking the restaurants may be closed in New York and Atlanta, but every hospital in this nation is still open. How can we help our local farmers? So I picked up the phone, called some other hospitals and they bought some, We started this food collaborative in which offset into another thing of where we try to give our employees B grade vegetables from local farmers so they won't go to waste in the field we can't really give you money all the time, but hey, instead of you leaving and you know, having to go to the grocery store, here's some nutritious um, food straight from the fields from our local farmers. So it's little things like that we try to do to be creative.
0: Well, which is a helped. challenge. Absolutely, but it you know what's really cool about that is you're supporting your community while helping your employees. It's almost like a win-win-win. Like mm-hmm. it's it's kind of you know helping to keep them motivated and feeling good about the work they're doing, but also helping. Others in in that community with their getting their produce to somebody who could buy it. That's amazing. What a great story. So, I mean, and obviously, you know, you've overcome a lot of these challenges. You you have risen kind of like a Phoenix in a way, you know, you've also leveraged mentors and other leaders kind of in your network along the way with that. Can you talk about how important that has been or how that helped you in in being able to have that comfortability to reach out to other leaders and ask questions and and get support from them?
1: Sure. Well, I I think my background uh, created a boldness inside of me, to. I'm like, what have I got to lose? I mean, I've probably been embarrassed to the most extent. So I'm one of those people who will be completely transparent and vulnerable. And I think this is something that executives or anyone in any um, workplace need to understand. Not everyone should fake it until you make it because you may end up making a complete fool out of yourself. The next person at the next cubicle or the CEO at the other um, at your competitor could feel just as uneasy or insecure about various roles that they must um, fulfill. So the great thing that the best thing you can do and the best thing that I did was to be very upfront about the things I did not know and ask for help. Now, um, being vulnerable meant that a lot of people told me no or didn't return my phone call or pretty much said, no, you're CEO now, you figure it out. And I was shocked when I got those kind of responses because I was always in the nature of someone needs help, I'm gonna do everything I possibly can to help them. I'm the person who does that. So, um, and I shared this with somebody else before when they talk about mentors and I've had some really good mentors. The best mentors in my life, have been the people who have been the meanest and dirtiest in my life. I have learned more from that than anybody else because I have sworn to myself with those interactions, I'm going to be so far away on the spectrum of where you are so I can never be like you. And what do I need to do so that I'm not like this? And I think reaching out for help, it um, leaves you open to... um, Placing trust in people you shouldn't place trust in, but that's okay. Place the trust anyway. Be very cautious, but extend the olive branch and place that trust. So reaching out to a mentor um, on my first day on the job here was something that took a lot of uh, guts. I knew what I didn't know. And I knew that as a new CEO, I needed some help here. So I had researched uh, powerful CEOs um, who are doing something and shaking things up in the critical access world. And, uh, Robin Rouse name popped up and I cold called her on the first day. It's like, Robin, you don't know who, who I am. And the God smiled upon me because she answered the phone, didn't go to a secretary or anything. She answered the phone and I said, I'm Angela. This is my first day on the job as a CEO in the, in this critical access hospital. I don't know a lot, but I know I need a mentor. Would you be my mentor? And she agreed, and we developed a relationship. And I have learned a tremendous amount in these last three years from her. But taking that chance and letting her open doors for me led me to meeting other people, and to introduce myself, and really stepping outside of my comfort zone. I'm a huge introvert. I mean, I'm on all day, and there's nothing more than what I want to do is go curl up at home with my dog and cat, read a book, and stay inside. And I can stay inside. My house for an entire weekend but I had to learn that my position meant for me to get out of my comfort zone and network so I remember the first conference I ever went to I shot out to some of the um, uh, some of the sessions that was going on and I ran right back to my hotel room I wanted to avoid the cocktail hour the meet and greet hour because I felt that I was not adequate enough to mix and mingle with other CEOs even though I held the title as CEO. Even though I was pursuing a master's degree, even though I had overcome so much that would put people in a grave and that would stop people. Years ago, I let my inner voice tell me, you are not there yet. How dare you get out there and give a business card, introduce yourself as a CEO when you're so new in the game. But you know what? That I'm looking back now and wish it had not stopped me. And we let our inner voice and fear stop us from stepping out and obtaining the things that we should obtain and going after the things that we should because of that voice and also criticisms from other people. And that year as a new CEO, I remember sitting in a session with this group called Hometown Health, and someone won CEO of the year. And I was like, I'm going to win that one year. I promise you that. The next year I won it. And there were a lot of people who felt like I shouldn't have gotten that award. And I knew it and I could sense it. Uh, there have been people who have been CEOs of hospitals and rural hospitals for years and hadn't gotten it. And then the next year, I was asked to give the keynote or a keynote message or a speech at the same conference. And my opening line was, a year ago today, I received CEO of the Year Award. And I said, just like a lot of you are sitting this audience, I didn't think I deserved it. And I can feel the tension break in the room. And um, being vulnerable in that moment, I felt let them be open to the rest of my speech. And we got hospital of the year um, that year uh, after um, that speech was over. But uh, mentors have come in different shapes and sizes. Some of my biggest mentors now are my employees that work under me. And I, I hate to say work under me and work with me. Uh, There are some hardworking, very smart, intelligent people that teach me things every single day. And I truly believe in surrounding people, um, being surrounded by people who are smarter than me. If I'm the smartest person in the room, I need to get out of the room. And I tell them that all the time. Uh, People who uh, I thought were my mentors in the past truly were not. And I realize that now. Uh, But they were. I hate to say that because I'm still learning from them. And being in the position of... uh, being mentored, I think it's hugely important that I try to mentor someone. And I'm usually shocked and taken aback when I get someone reach out or that reaches out and say, will you mind being my mentor? And I'm like, you want me? Are you sure? <laughs> but I, but sometimes people just want friendship to know that we're not in this alone. So I think it's important that in any leadership position that we remember to give it back and pay back. And then sometimes that really helps offset the pain of and the sting of the criticism and stuff that you get. When you're trying to do your job.
0: I love that concept of like reaching out even just for front to be a friend or have somebody there because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of leaders or there's people that I've heard this from that say it's very lonely at the top. And from what it sounds like to you've really taken an opportunity to embrace those that are, you know, either working with you or can help you in some way from a networking perspective. And, you know, ones that may be a little bit more negative. You're going, yep, that's not what I want to be. So that helps me to grow as a leader, but, Mm -hmm. you know, really kind of finding a way to not be lonely at the top so that you can continue to, to thrive in a way. So very interesting. Hugely important. Yes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So, and you've navigated a lot of discomfort when you've been put in different situations. I know you shared some on you know, having to choose your battles as you moved into this role. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know sometimes, you know, when you get into like that leadership role and you go into a meeting, you're like, okay, this is something I have an opinion on. I I should fight for it. But I think what was really interesting about a previous conversation you and I had where you shared some examples of, yep, that's not a battle I'm going to take on. I'm going to (laughs) choose my time when I take that battle on. I really share a little bit about that and how you were able to kind of learn some control on that and choosing your battle because you ran into some several obstacles where you had to do that. I did. I did.
1: Uh, Several, several comments I want to make about that. One is that um, you can't want more for people than they want for themselves. Okay. The disappointment stops when you realize that. So with employees, and I'm still trying to get past this, I hire really quickly and I fire slow and um, a lot of time people think that, oh, this person has positions, so they should know better. They already should know better, but that's not true. You've got to be able to have some very tough conversations. Now, don't criticize a person every single day that they're walking in the door, but for the bigger things or for, hey, do you want my help with this? I, and let me tell you how I thought this um, meeting went today. Same thing with my board. They were a fairly new board when I started, and we were each trying to prove ourselves and there were some uh, very tense conversations that we've had to have. And me not having that board room experience before, I learned that I had to learn how to regain or gain my composure and post questions in a different manner. Or if I didn't get a yes today, it doesn't mean it was a permanent no. That I just had to redirect and find out what the root cause of the issue was and then just re-ask at a different time. So I learned that I don't have to go in and be the, Fist on the table or get my way and instead of going are you crazy did you I just really hear that come out of your mouth that I may not get such a great response instead I can word it like I really appreciate your feedback on that can you explain or elaborate a little bit further on what you're trying to convey here because I'm not quite sure I'm on the same page with you same thing but completely different uh ways of saying it And it was very hard for me to come in to this environment because there are some very strong personalities. And anyone who's ever managed a team of physicians or have had to be a CEO of a hospital or a physician practice, uh, physicians at time uh, can be hard to manage, especially if um, they've been allowed to run the show for an extended period of time. And we as females, not only do we constantly second guess, well, do I deserve to be in this position? Should I ask for a raise? Because I'm not sure I deserve that. Uh, should I say no to this, even though that I know it's out of my scope of practice, because I really have got to prove myself. Not only that, but then we have to bow with the inner voice of, you're fat, if you're a little bit skinnier, you know, you look better in that suit, or do you really need to eat that donut today? <laughs> should you be in both sides of that bagel Angela before you came to the office but um we constantly worry about our image and so I remember uh, a physician who was well respected in the community when I walked into a meeting it was a med staff meeting he called me out he says Miss Ammons have you lost any weight because it doesn't look like it and this is with a team of other professionals and doctors and And everybody else kind of giggled uncomfortably. And after the meeting, I said, is this something that happens all the time? And they said, well, yes, that's just how he is. You just have to deal with it. And I was like, no, let's not have to deal with it. And other people said, oh, just don't worry about it. That's how they're, I'm like, you don't understand something. In any other setting, this person would have a lawsuit against them. If this, you're telling me this is how they treat everyone. So um, I had my back against the wall just because I didn't have another physician and so forth. So I told myself, you're going to fight this battle, but you're going to fight it at the right time. But still, I would get a phone call randomly, phone call from this um, person. They're saying, AA, because Angela Ammons, I only have one question for you. And I would say, yes. What's your question? Are you still fat? And they would laugh and hang at the phone. And I'm a size eight to ten. Average female in America is 14, so I never consider myself fat. Well, we all do a little bit, but I was like, oh, my God, not only do I have to worry about three days cash on hand and payroll, I've got some idiot asking me about my weight in a professional setting. I'm like, oh, my God. And then I would walk in uh, to a performance improvement meeting, a CQI meeting, and this person would say, I think our next performance improvement plan should be to reduce Mrs. Ammons' BMI because she's really not overweight. She's clinically obese. And I would appreciate it when you go on your walking club tonight. If you have to run past my house to call me and tell me so I can hold my China cabinet in place so the China doesn't bounce out. And I remember a new physician that I had hired sitting there staring at him and his collar was getting red because he was new and he didn't know how to navigate it. It It's just like, I cannot believe this behavior is happening here, but. Another time in another place, I was able to address it head on. And that behavior towards me does not happen any longer. I was able to stop it. And I believe that I have gained enough uh, uh, respect for myself that I can go towards to anybody in the community and say, this is a behavior that's happening. We could get sued for this type of behavior. This is lateral violence and harassment. This will not be tolerated in our facility anymore. And I said that. And so um, as far as I know, it has stopped. But I had to remind myself that I cannot walk out the door every time it got uneasy for me or every time it was not comfortable or every time I wasn't getting flowers and champagne tossed at me for doing a good job. When you're in a position of power, a CEO, CFO, manager, owner of your business, you've got to remember what your goal is, your end goal. And it's not going to get in any easier in any other facility or uh, business you go to. It's just going to be the same type of person. It's just a different name. And you've got to tell yourself, what's my end goal? What can I tolerate? It's not going to be on the, <laughs> the ledge of being uh, illegal, but you just have to keep your head up and keep going because every single employee in this facility needed me to do that. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't take it personally. I just had to let it just roll off and... Like this is something you're going to have to face every single day um, or intermittently. But you have to remember you're here to save the hospital and you're not going to get a parade every single day when you come in here. It's just not going to happen. And I think people forget that. I think at times we're a little bit more um, sensitive um, than we should be. And we walk out the door Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and then we forget the true mission of what we were set to do here.
0: Yeah. Well, and it had to be, I mean, that was one of those moments where, you know, planning your time to address it when you could make the biggest impact as opposed to trying to navigate that too soon and not getting to that end goal that you were. Because sure. I wanted to made. quabble. If I wanted
1: to do a, yeah. uh, an immediate quabble back and forth, then I think everyone at a table would lose respect for both of us. Yeah. And I knew that respect had not been lost for me and I wasn't going to do anything to add fuel to that fire. So, yeah. you know, you can get in a fight. Sure. Fights are very easy, a verbal squabble, but I knew that I need to hold my place in time and I would have my due day of being able to reckon.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And good for you. Cause that, that would have been a really hard one to, to, to sit and take, but then, you know, I I admire your strength in that moment to just, you know, okay. All right. Yeah. And then sometimes you you have to have private conversations.
1: Like when someone was just acting very irresponsibly and they, and you really felt they didn't know any better, very young people, they graduate and immediately I have my master's degree. I know what I'm doing. Or I have my bachelor's degree. You can't tell me everything because my degree at Georgia Southern has told me everything or my degree at UGA. And sometimes you have to pull someone down, send them down and say, private conversation between you and me, where do you want to go in life? The way, what you're doing now is never going to get you there. So if you want to listen to my advice, I'm about to tell you that. And those conversations can be extremely hard because these people are so young and fragile, sometimes 22, 23, just graduating college. And uh, they probably have a dozen trophies at home where they've got a trophy just for showing up. So having someone have a hard conversation with them are very difficult. But I'd much rather have hard conversations, performance improvement plans, To help them achieve the goals they have for them, just to fire somebody every six months or a year just because it's not working out. And I think too many times executives and people in leadership roles look the other way, with the idea, they should know better. Why do I need to tell them that? People need to be told. I need to be checked. If I roll my eyes and I don't catch it, I have people who's going to be in that meeting say, Angela, your facial expression, or Angela, you got a little bit loud in that meeting. You shouldn't do that. I have people in place to check me and that's so important.
0: Yep. Oh, I love that. Um so We're going to jump into a a commercial from our sponsor real quick. So Workplace (laughs) MVP is sponsored by R3 Continuum. R3 Continuum is a global leader in providing expert, reliable, responsive, and tailored behavioral health, disruption, and violence solutions to promote workplace well-being and performance in the face of an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. Learn more about how R3 Continuum can tailor a solution for your organization's unique challenges by visiting r3c.com today. So I like that thinking about, you know, having somebody in place to check yourself. That is so spot on. I, I completely would agree with that. And, you know, I tell my staff as well, you know, it's okay to, to call me if I'm on something too. I expect the same in response. Um, so. In looking at some of the key learnings that you have as a leader since taking on this role, what, what would some of those be? Um, one of the biggest things is never stop learning.
1: Some people like, I'm CEO. I never have to go back for anything because I don't need to know anything else. That is not true. I work... And I think all of you probably work ungodly hours, but I'm always looking for other avenues to learn and improve. Is there a conference that I can attend? Is there a podcast I need to regularly listen to on my commute? What books do I need to read? Who do I need to continue to mentor me so that I can be sharpened? Because iron sharpens iron, right? So one of the, um, a lot of people would not have done this. And a good friend of mine said, I would have never made this call if I were you. You've got some guts. After winning Hospital of the Year Award, which was a backup to being CEO of the Year Award, which also in the middle somewhere, I was featured in Time Magazine. This hospital was featured in Time Magazine for some of the work we've done. I couldn't understand something on the financials of our financial report. And I had a good friend who was the CEO and CFO at another hospital. And I reached out to him, Carrie Trapnell at Elbert Memorial has been a godsend to me. And I said, Carrie, I don't understand this. Can you help explain this? And maybe we should put this in another format. Well, a lot of people would have responded, didn't you just win hospital of the year? Or you know, you're supposed to be the rock star. Why are you asking for help? He did. He's like, sure. What do you want me to show you? What do you want me to do? And without being vulnerable and asking for help, I would still be in that one place. So I think it's important for us to realize when we need help, don't be afraid to ask for it. And to continue to educate ourselves. I mean, I thought I was done with school, but now I'm thinking maybe I need an MHA on top of an an MBA. And maybe I need to join these organizations and so that I can continue to be better because you don't know what the future holds for you. When I was a 15 year old high school dropout waiting tables at Shoney's. And that was when they had the god-awful, ugly uniforms back in the day. I don't know if you've ever eaten the Shonies, but it was a green wraparound polyester skirt and this green and brown plaid top. I couldn't see past me paying the bills at the end of the month and working there. So you never know what the future is going to hold for you. You never know what's going to become of that. So always try to prepare yourself to be better. And I remember going to yard sales and checking out books During that time, I was a dropout where there was law books. It was college um, books on geometry and so forth, telling myself, okay, you may not be officially enrolled in school, but you need to read over this. You need to try to get ahead of the game and that type of thing. So I think it's incredibly important to continue to educate yourself and to learn from other people. I think that's probably the best advice that I can give everyone.
0: Great. So in looking at your career and how you've grown, I know you've mentioned it a couple times, that voice of fear in your, in your head that we all have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I'm curious about is, you know, how do you overcome that voice of fear? It's almost like imposter syndrome, right? Especially when you get into leadership roles, sometimes you, you show up at that table, like, wow, do I really belong at this table? And it's like, but you do. And you have how do you find that voice of believing in yourself? Because there's a reason you're at that table. You earned it. You've, you've mastered certain things that have gotten you to there, whether it, you know, maybe it, you know, even if it's not educational or any of that, it's your work ethic, your integrity. There's so many other things that get people into those roles. Can you talk through how, how you overcome that fear? How do you make sure that you show up believing in yourself at those, you know, whether it's a meeting or it's a presentation or it's just the day-to-day workplace? Sure.
1: I I still wrestle with that every single day. That voice has probably gotten a lot quieter the last couple of years. Um, And I think I can attribute to being that, to being very real and honest with myself. Because even though we have a very influential and successful people, and they suffer from imposter syndrome. They may not even realize they have it yet until you can see the definition. You're like, oh, my God, that's me. Because I remember reading the definition I'm like, oh, there is a term for what I do, <laughs> what I say to myself. I can't believe it. But um, being honest with yourself and saying, yeah, Angela, you did screw up really today. You bless that employee out for remember You should have never done that. But you know what? Get over it. It's going to be OK. Uh, finding the people who will be honest and truthful to you, whether you want them to or not is truly important. I do have two of those people in my life. Uh, I remember my good friend will say, do you want me to validate you or do you want me to be honest? And I'm like, I want you to be honest. He said, okay, then this is this and this. And there are times when you can get dark and you've had a succession of really bad decisions or, There has been immense pressure at work and you feel like there's no end to it. And I can recall even this weekend of hearing the negativity seep in. But you know what? I set a time limit for it. After about five minutes, I'm like, that's enough. There's not gonna be any more of this. Because if it was your friend, your children, your loved one, you heard someone speaking about. To them, the way we speak to ourselves, you would immediately intervene and say, You're not talking to my husband like that, or my child, or my best friend. She is my girlfriend. What are you doing talking about her like that? We have to have that same respect for ourselves. And I've learned that more in the last two years than my entire life. Angela, stop talking to yourself like that. Look at everything you've accomplished. Look how great your children are. Your life. So what? You messed up yesterday. What about all the other successes you've done? So I think at times, even if you need to, you put it down on paper. And then when I do that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I guess we have done pretty good. And then you have to accept the failures and say it's a failure, but it's only a true failure if you repeat it over and over and over again. And uh, checking yourself with your mentors and being truly vulnerable with your staff. Whenever we accomplish something, I'm telling you guys, it's because of this wonderful team of people that work with me. And I congratulate them. And I talk about this team, let us be in Time Magazine. This team helped us get CEO of the Year Award. This team enables me to go to this conference and speak because if the hospital wasn't running well, I couldn't leave. But when you fail at something, I think it's truly important, very, very important for your employees to hear that you failed at something. I would say in a minute, guys, I meant to forward that email I did. not So that's being paid late because of me. It's not because of you. And I would tell them that or, uh, guys, it's my fault. I dropped the ball on this. I let you down, but it's not going to happen again. So I think it's truly important for you to do that, to be real and have other people check you and for you to protect yourself and to defend yourself. Like you would do the loved ones in your life. You cannot get beat down or go into that dark place every single day and then go out there and. Perform to be and perform to be the light of your facility for your home, for your friends or anything. If you're constantly beating yourself down, I mean, you just can't do that. And you think you don't do it. But if you wake up five minutes late or you forget to turn off the alarm, you've already told yourself you're so stupid. You can't even set the alarm in the morning. Or oh my gosh, Angela, this is the second pair of pants you put on and the buttons about to burst. You can't your CEO of the hospital and you can't put down a bagel. Or you can't reduce the carbs for 30 days. And and I taught this over with my girlfriends. And sometimes before you even leave the door and get in your car, you've already told yourself 20 negative things. And you've got to be able to stop, recognize that it's happening, and stop it. And men do the same thing. I think they do it a little bit more quieter than most and because they don't feel like they can be as vulnerable as females. So they internalize that a lot. But you got to stop beating yourself up. You've got to be honest with yourself and be transparent and vulnerable. And you got to give yourself credit for the things that you do. Yeah.
0: That's such great advice. I love it. (laughs) Great, great conversation. This has been so much great information. And, you know, I think you shared some very, you know, vulnerable stories of like truth around, you know, some of the challenges that you've overcome, um, in taking on the CEO role, but also the successes as well that have come as a result. I mean, big congratulations on, on your awards and the recognition you've received. Um, it's very impressive. And we're so so glad to have you on the show. If our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, um, maybe to ask questions or to seek a mentor, how, how can they do that?
1: Well, they can go on our website and um, our direct line is there. But Jamie, I'm going to ask that you offer my contact information for anyone to email me or call me. I'll be more than happy to entertain, respond, um, meet someone uh, that would like to know more about us or uh, my story. I am an open book.
0: Love that. Well, thank you so much, Angela, for being on our show. It was such thank a pleasure you. to interview you and hear your story and truly inspiring. I learned a lot from you. Um, So thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you for having me on.
1: I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. And we also want to thank our show sponsor, R3 Continuum, for supporting the Workplace MVP podcast. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've not already done so, make sure to subscribe so you get our most recent episodes and other resources. You can also follow our show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Workplace MVP. And if you are a Workplace MVP or if you know someone who is, we want to know about it. So email us at info at workplace-mvp.com. Thank you all for joining us and have a great rest of your day.